0: And Got it. Then, right on one, yeah. So three, two, one. <claps> Terrible, but okay, we'll work with it. Hey, and welcome to the first episode of the Tri Watchers podcast. This is what happens when an Englishman, a Frenchman, and a Canadian walk into a watch shop together, and the rest of it we, I suppose, put on this podcast here. My name is David.
1: My name's Cameron.
0: My name's Tom. There's going to be a lot of R in this episode, isn't there?
1: There's going to be a lot to take out. (laughs) So this
0: this episode, so basically we started this off as an excuse to keep in touch since us, we all met together in London through this hobby of uh, collecting watches and being in the watch community. But we all now live in three totally different countries and we need an excuse to uh, keep talking, I suppose, and keep... Talking about watches, as it's the only thing that we really can agree on, ever. (laughs) We don't even agree (laughs) on that, to be honest. Let's 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 be fair. Yeah, we don't. Um, (laughs) First of all, you're wrong. (laughs) So um, yeah, so I guess this is to start talking about who we are and how we all met and how we got into this ridiculous, expensive hobby that's very slowly but surely eroding our marriages and our relationships. (laughs) (laughs)
1: my wife will attest to that
0: yeah that's true so cam you're the oldest one here so you got into this way before oh i like
1: i I like how you threw that in right away okay so
0: (laughs) i'm just passing the buck of who has to talk first
1: (laughs) (laughs) so uh i guess uh watches have been one of those things i've always been into anyway um I mean, it starts off, uh, as with most watch guys, with their fathers and grandfathers and stuff like that. Um, and But where it really kicked off for me is when I first moved to London, um, I've always been into uh, mechanical things, sort of stuff, cars, that stuff. Both my grandfathers were mechanics. Um, so pre- precision machines have always been very cool. And then when I moved to London, I uh, ran into an issue where uh, I could no longer have a car to work on, so something else had to fill that void and uh it just became watches so um I say about so in twenty twenty twelve um I bought my first luxury watch, and uh it kind of snowballed from there uh, and then and then that triggered me uh at work with Dave uh discussing that uh, we found some mutual interests and whatnot, and not the least of which was uh this ridiculous passion that we now have.
0: See, so, you know that's that's, that's weird because I've known you all this time, and I didn't realize that it was a replacement for cars. <laughs> I just thought it was just like Oh, always <laughs> watching. I didn't realize nope. this was like a uh, replacing one addiction with another. This is like well, the methadone to your heroin.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically, it was it was it was filling the void that was was kind of put in place. And basically because I was living in a small flat in central London um, and justifying having the expense of a car in central London, especially when we, I would only be using it on the weekends, it made no sense. And let's face it, uh, watches are small enough to store inside a small flat in central London. <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. yeah
2: but it's basically what's the, what's the smallest engine you can wear on your wrist? Exactly. Race, yeah, <laughs> so, no, yeah, I suppose
0: there's, there's always that parallel between car guys and watch guys. And there's always going to be that tie-in. You don't really find watch guys who aren't car guys and also car guys who aren't somewhat interested in watches as well, at least to some degree. it's yeah, There's no, quite, quite an intrinsic true. link there. But I think it is that whole, like you said, like a small engine you can wear on your wrist, that whole mechanical, mechanically-minded thing is that, you know, well, I can't afford this, but I can afford this, and this is nice and compact and accessible and
1: yeah. That's exactly what it was. So I guess uh, I guess this is where we would kick it off over to Thomas.
0: Yeah, if we're going down in age. Yep. <laughs> I'm relishing in the fact that I'm the youngest here, but I equally so, look the oldest.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, the I mean, good thing we're not recording video as well. <laughs> yeah, for that. yeah, it's a
0: podcast, not a horror exactly. show.
2: <laughs> Right, so, uh, so being uh, the son of an antique dealer's family, i always been interested in uh, any uh, fine objects, uh, preferably with uh, some kind of history. And uh, why I watch it, actually? Um, I, when, when I was 11 at a dinner party, I was really looking at my... Uh, I mean, spent a lot of time looking at my father, uh, Speedmaster. And I just love this watch. And so as I was 11, my dad told me, by the time you turn 18, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that watch. And so a couple of years uh, passed by, and when I turned 18, I went to my dad and said, <clears throat> Dad, uh, do you remember that talk we had seven years ago? And he was like, oh, shit, you remember. Damn it. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, turned 18 and got the Speedmaster of my of my dad, which was my first uh, serious piece into my collection. I mean, exactly. it's not a bad 18th present. And like, Speedmaster, it's no, not high. at all. Exactly. And a couple of years after, when I moved to uh, to London, uh, well, actually, I didn't really have friends who will, who would share the same passion. And uh, I was working with uh, Catherine, which is uh, uh, Cameron's uh, wife. And uh, as uh, I was just preparing an English tea, as you would say, <laughs> um, Catherine walked by and struck me with a really precise uh, um, comment on my watch, not only saying, I can't remember which watch I was wearing. I thought it was the GMT. I, was, she I thought it was a sea dweller. Possibly the seatbelt. Actually, yeah, you're right. But she not only knew without reading on Dell and me talking about the watch, uh, which which more which brand, which model, even the year uh, it was, and I was just shocked how precise um, her comment was. And she was like, "Well, actually, uh, my my husband has a disease, and uh, it seems that it's spread on me." Um, and there you go. That's how i uh ended up meeting Cameron uh, and through Cameron uh, Dave and since that we've been just yeah talking watches all the time and and uh making
1: fun of I harder. do appreciate that she referred to <laughs> it as a disease <laughs> and that <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that I have a problem. And uh, But at the same time, I was rather impressed that it rubbed off enough to the fact that she could actually pick out your watch while standing in the uh, coffee room. That's brilliant. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah. So, I suppose if okay. we're going to how we all met, it's that, Thomas, you worked with Cam's wife and I worked with Cam.
2: Yeah.
0: And um, yeah. it was kind of, I suppose it was kind of actually when I met Cam it was around the time that I bought my first, I suppose, luxury watch. And how I got into watches was um, in my house, we were always, my my dad was hugely into nature and natural life and things like that. So it always instilled into me, like reading natural uh, National Geographic and things like that. So if anyone's ever read National Geographic, you know that on the back cover, or on the inside, the first page, it's predominantly either a camera or it's a watch advert. But most of the time, it's a watch advert. Right. And... Hmm. I was buying these uh, copies of National Geographic and on the back cover for f- quite a few issues, there was a Raymond Wheel advert and the Raymond Wheel was showing this Nabucco steel carbon fiber watch and it just struck me and I was like, oh, I love that. That is so cool. And I really love the way it looked and everything about it. Um, and but it was so far at my price range. I mean, I was, I was so, I was young at the time. I was maybe like, when I saw this, I was like, but I mean, when I saw this, I was like maybe 15, 16. So like I, it was so far out of my price range. Yeah. It was so far out of my price range at the time that I just, I didn't even think about it, but I I lusted after it. And it was the first like kind of serious watch that caught my eye. But eventually like I, I, I tried it on in places and I loved it and, whatever but I couldn't afford to put it out of my mind and then one day I was uh, I was working in engineering I'd become an engineer I was working with CAM um, so the even more mechanical side of my mind had been set in motion through this job so I was getting more and more into things like that and you know I had a bit of cash um, and I walked into a local jeweler and the same watch from the back of the National Geographic magazine was there and I was like, wow, that's that's the one. That's, like, the thing I've seen. And it just luck would have it, it was half price. And I was just like, do you know what? Like, I've got to have it. Like, this is so serendipitous that I'm here. It's half price. It's exactly the same one that I've seen for years. I've lost after. I've got to do it. And um, I didn't really know anything about watches at the time. It's just, like, I was so green. I didn't know anything about it. Take so, I literally, money. I was just like, yeah, just, like, take my money. I, I want this watch. So, like... The, the shop assistant's going to me, oh, yeah, it's this, it's that. It's a dive watch, which it wasn't. And she's like, <laughs> um, she's like oh, yeah, this, this little crown here is the helium escape valve, which it wasn't. It changed the date. It, <laughs> it was like, <laughs> but I was just like so enamored with this watch. I was just like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. whatever just take my money, take my money, take my money. So I ended up buying this Raymond Wheel and I just wore it all the time, and I loved it. It was huge. It was like... 40 45 mil the bracelet was huge the whole thing was so like looking back now obviously tastes have changed it was so austin chase just and just this just beast of a watch and yeah but i i thought i was hot shit wearing it you know i was just like yeah look at this this is amazing like you don't tell anyone you bought it for half price either obviously you always tell everyone you bought it for full price <laughs> See like, oh, yeah i got this da, da, da. and um so i was wearing it in the office
2: it was the last one, so I paid it. Uh, it was the last one, so I actually paid uh, twice. Well, exactly. And I, I mean, the I, they
0: told me on oh, no, that this is
2: discontinued. And
0: that's why we're selling it half price. Which it wasn't even discontinued. So everything I got told about this watch was a lie. But I still, <laughs> but I still bought it anyway. And I was just like, yeah. And I, it's one of the things you put it on, and like like you do with any watch. You really the, once you've you've hunted it down, you found it, and you put it on. And you're like, yeah, and you get a feeling of satisfaction that you've you've seen it, you've wanted it, and you. have waited all that time and you've hunted it down you found it or I didn't even hunt it down I just came across it but it's just that feeling of yes I've got the thing I wanted and um, yeah so I was wearing that and then I was in the office one day and I and and Cam, I I didn't really know Cam at the time but we just kind of worked in the same office on this huge project and I was, from that watch I'd started looking into other things and saw other things in like uh, the windows and stuff and then Cam was wearing the Monaco at the time, and I was like, oh, nice watch, and then we just got talking, and then, yeah, now it's been like, I want to say, eight years, eight, nine years?
1: Uh, yeah, it's been about that, because that it's was, that, that would have been about, it uh, was 2012, so yeah, eight years, and eight
0: years, and it, like, it's just mm-hmm. taken over, my watches has taken over my life.
1: Yeah, and it, it wouldn't do that. that if it wasn't no, for it's...
0: meeting you guys as well, whoever really, like pushed it forward and like really hammered it in. Like this is, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I'm just cry
2: no, no, now. no. I
1: think, uh, no, I think you bring up a valid point. Like the, the biggest problem, the biggest problem with this, um, this whole community and stuff like that, is once you get into it, especially if you get a couple of guys like we've now all joined together, who just kind of. I don't want to say encourage, Enable. but don't do anything to discourage. Yeah, e- enabling is one mm. thing, but it's one of those. It's one of those. Well, I'm thinking of doing this, and if you come, if I, I know if I come to either of you guys and I say, yeah, I, I think I want to buy this, neither of you will discourage me from it. They're like you'll be like, yep, no, I think that's a good call. I think a, a great pastime of <laughs> <And that> everyone's
0: <laughs> here is spending each other's money. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's the best part. Making other people spend their money is oh such a best. That's the best part about this hobby, because it makes you it, it makes you feel better about spending your own money. Well, because because I go well, I can't feel bad about spending two grand on this. I just made Dave spend four grand on that. <laughs> it's like living. It's very much living <laughs> vicariously through each other. Exactly. Yeah. Plus,
2: it gives it gives the opportunity to try another watch.
1: Yes. This is and and actually that is a, another valid point because we get together and then we all get to try it on and then it's kind of like once you've joined a a meetup group as well Red Bar yeah. that sort yeah. of thing and you go and you meet other people who have got the same interest and then you start trying on their watches I mean without doing stuff like that as well there's there's a ton of watches that I probably never oh, would have experienced if it yeah had totally for really, that.
0: I mean Red Bar joining Red Bar was probably mm. one of the best things I've ever done not just not just from a watch point of view but from a social point of view like I've met some of the greatest people through Red Bar and and just had some fantastic experiences Mm. and everything but yeah just just trying you you just see so much stuff that you'd never ever get to try on and again it's like living vicariously through the other collectors because like there's no way I'd ever get to try on like a rose gold Patek Nautilus ever because I can't afford it. Exactly. You walk into the AD, they don't have it, and even if they did have it, they're not mm-hmm. going to give it to me. <laughs> so it's like, and then you go to Red Bar, and some guy's like, "Yeah, fine, try it," and just like, leaves it on the table and just walks yeah. away. And, like, <clears throat> um, again, yeah. Like you trust me not to like just walk out with this? Like, yeah, fine. But... Yeah, but obviously, like. Like I said, like from the first watch, from the first luxury watch we all bought, I think sometimes the first luxury watch you buy is like the first tattoo where like you get it at the time and you're like, yeah. Yeah. And then a few years later you're like, why did I buy that? Like that is nowhere (laughs) close to being within my wheelhouse or even close to my taste, because oh, the t- taste change, and things, as you get older, and they morph. But So, what was your guys' first luxury piece? Because mine was that Raymond Wheel Nabucco, which I've since sold. Um, right. Because I just wasn't wearing it, because it just it no longer was... I mean, I still liked the way it looked, and I could appreciate what it was, and the fit and finish, and the build quality of it was really good, to be fair. It was really good. But yeah. it just wasn't something that I personally would wear anymore.
1: Um, no, you you stopped wearing it um, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Really, it it fell out of your rotation, and it just it, and it just sat in your box, and you felt guilty about that. Yeah, you I didn't. remember. It's
0: like you you your your collection expands, and you start to wear newer pieces more often or your taste shift and your collection changes to a slightly different kind it morphs it's an ever-evolving kind of thing and that just became kind of an outlier that wasn't really part of where I was with my watch collection at that time so it kind of went so I'd like to know what your guys first luxury watch I mean I know Thomas you got given the Speedmaster for your 18th but ones that you made your own choice on and went yeah this is what I want and after getting that good do you now go eh I wish I got something else or do you still love it or is it just me who made a really ridiculous choice of a huge steel carbon fibre watch <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't even that light it had so much carbon fibre on it but it still weighed like a half a ton
1: yeah that was a chunky piece um <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, if I if I talk about the, the the just a little bit more detail about the Speedmaster, uh, it's so it's uh, sorry, nineteen sixty nine pre moon uh, Speedmaster is actually not the three the uh, doesn't have the three two one calibre, so it's just the it's the eight six one, right? Of the new version, yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, my father had it uh, serviced in the 90s, and the dial and the hands have been replaced, which, which is <laughs> killing me. I've been looking for for uh, the original dial and hands with patina to put it back in the in the watch so the, the watch be, be, I mean, becomes uh, fully correct. Uh, but these days they're just selling for a ridiculous price. So uh, uh,
1: I kept the watch. Yeah, to be well. perfectly honest keeping it as it is when you received it after your dad had it serviced and stuff like that, there's significance to that too. I mean, if you wanted to add the old dial and hands and stuff like that, I mean, that would retain some monetary value, but I think more more to do with the sentimental value it be your watch of anymore. it being serviced. It that, that kind of makes it your watch, right? It's not as though you're never going to sell the thing, right? Right. It's not It's not a piece mm-hmm. that's going to be leaving your collection because it's been there the entire time. So. <clears throat> I think there's...
2: Yeah, no, co- correct. It's just that I'm I'm completely freaked when it comes to like, oh, this needs oh, yeah. to be in the perfect uh, combination it was with the perfect detail. Right, you, so- you and your
1: authenticity. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, but so <laughs> after the Speedmaster, what was the first big piece that you bought? I mean, because obviously the Speedmaster was a decision that was made for you. Like, your, your dad was like, I think Thomas will like this, and gave you that. And it's more like, um... like I said, like it's like your first tattoo. You think you want it at the time, and you get it. And then, but unlike a tattoo, you're yes. not stuck with it, so you could sell it like I did. Or did you Do you feel that with your first luxury piece that you made your own choice on, that you made the right decision? Because it's, it's, it's part of the journey of, like, you buy things that you then love at the time but maybe you fall out of love with or maybe you fall deeper in love with that piece and you form a really sentimental bond with it yeah I divorced mine um like I do not want to be associated with this lump
2: (laughs) I just got rid of it it's it's, uh, it's, I mean, to me, I mean, I don't have really the, the, the correct answer because I was lucky enough, thanks to thanks, uh, my parents, thanks to my, uh, my grandparents, to uh, have uh, a series of uh, really nice uh, watches that, so far, I didn't have the money to buy something comparable. So, when can, I mean, anything that I, I bought was way cheaper than those watches so even if i obviously thought a lot about those uh the the, the watches that i bought they never met the sentimental or market value than, than mm. the other ones mm. have
1: no that's yeah that, that i can understand that um no because it's uh you start off with uh a Speedmaster, and, and actually coming into it, having an appreciation for the pieces because of what your grandparents and your parents knew just because they were in the market and Mm -hmm. they understood the value of certain things. They kept it to pieces that tend to have, have an appreciation value as opposed to getting stuff that isn't. So you, 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 you were, you were brought into this, um, with, with, uh, a good taste already established. So, which, which helps the situation. And I mean, we can chalk that up to you being French. So,
2: (laughs) well, I mean, actually, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Thank you guys. I mean, actually it's, it's also, it's also a trap because when you have access to, I mean, I'm not talking about like a thousand watches, just, just a few of them, but just, well, few fine ones. Then, uh, yeah, you, you actually uh, develop a, Snobbish attitude and taste, unfortunately. So <laughs> it's
1: a double it's a, a double edged sword. So yeah.
2: What about well, you, Cam?
1: For me, uh, Dave Dave already touched on my first uh, luxury piece, I guess if you want to call it that, um, which was uh, mm-hmm. my Hoyer Monaco. Uh, it was uh, it was one of those things where I always I always wanted um, a Tag Hoyer actually from from the early be, mm-hmm. being coming of age in the mid 90s um what, TAG Heuer was the sponsor for Formula 1 and they it was it was so it was before mm-hmm. before Rolex before Hublot before all of that um they were they were always main eyes, sponsor the sponsor for Formula, Formula 1 they were
0: for me the midnight the, mid yeah, the exactly well, for me was, yeah and i remember exactly it tug, time by Heuer oh yeah. and it for me that set that in my brain as well
1: and it was and it was a combination of like the original or not the original but the the Tag Heuer logo with the green and the red it stood out stuff like that and it was just one of those things and and of course not really having any in-depth background to it of course we were all impacted by marketing and so on and so forth so it was uh it was one of those things where i always and and as i was going through my career and stuff like that guys that i met a lot of them wore like those early 90s or late 90s um, pieces, um, like the the Hoyer 2000, um, that sort of, like a lot of the like the, the Formula One quartz pieces, that sort of thing. So I saw a lot of those growing up, and I always thought they were, they were just cool pieces. Like they just, something I really liked. And then, of course, back in the early 2000s, when they re-released the Monaco, um, it was just different, right? Because of course, you've got a square shape and stuff like that and originally I was going to go after just the 3-hand model because I thought I always thought the chronograph was going to be well out of my reach just because it was so much more expensive and it's and when you first get into this and you kind of go and it's a uh, you go well who's going who's going to spend $2000 yep. on a watch or and so and then you start looking at the chronographs so and you go wait a minute the chronograph is actually 5000 like why would you spend that kind of money on a watch like it just doesn't make any so sense. You find yourself there. So though. anyway, hmm. oh, absolutely. Oh, it oh yeah, and it doesn't take long. So my initial intent was to buy the three-hand black dial. Actually, it was I always jump back and forth between the blue dial and the black dial, the three-hand Monaco that just had the date and stuff. So it was just the they call I think they called it the Caliber 5, but it was basically an ETA 2824 with the date. Um, and I so I would go back. And they were—they always retailed for around the $2,000 Canadian mark when I was looking at them. So it's about 1,500 pounds or whatever it works out to in euros. And then, um, so I had moved over to London. And so while I was living there, um, I had a house back in Ca- Canada. I sold that. And I had all this money burning a hole in my pocket. Um, with a bunch of it set aside for future investment, so on and so forth, but I still had a fairly i had I had some capital to play with, and I decided that because of that, because of the move, I needed to kind of take some of that money and, and be a bit frivolous with it and I decided I wanted to buy a watch and um, as I was looking I decided and I always gravitated back towards a Monaco. Just because it was kind of one of those ones, like it had been, it had been sitting in the back of my mind for probably ten years at this point, because, because um, this was this was twenty twenty eleven, twenty twelve, and I th- well maybe maybe not quite ten years, but it like I think the re release was back, and of course I didn't really know all of the history at that point of of like it being the first chronograph that Hoyer released back in sixty nine with the autumn, or sorry, the first chronograph that automatic chronograph that they released back in sixty nine, sort of thing the whole Steve McQueen connection, that stuff. Um, So I just started looking again. And on the advert, there was this particular dial variation that they'd just come out with. uh, Silver dial, uh, gray sub-dials, with orange accents. And I've always been a fan of orange as as a color, not something. But it was very subtle, right? It was just kind of on the loom plots and... um, uh, the tip of the uh, the chronograph seconds hand and stuff like that. So it was just it was really nice uh, contrast and dial, really legible. Um, and I, I, when I saw the watch, I'm like, that's it, that's the one I want. And so uh, with this money burning a hole in my pocket and stuff like that, I started doing some shopping. And I went to there was a Tag Heuer boutique over um, in the Westfield, uh, and I went and I checked it out there, and it was. I, can't remember. It was it was it was I think it was about 5500 pounds at the boutique there. And I went, "Oh, okay, yeah, so I kind of benchmarked what and I started looking around and stuff like that and um my uh my mum and my grandfather were actually over visiting. Um they were on they were coming from Canada through London down to South Africa for um a vacation to go visit family and uh so when when they were visiting us for a couple of days, we were doing the regular touristy stuff, and one of the places we hit up was Harrods. And so while we were in Harrods, I was walking around and I noticed that they had the same watch in the display case there, and but it was uh it they were selling it at Harrods for 5250. I'm like, "Well, that's and at this point it was it was brand new." They hadn't, it hadn't been released. There was nothing gray market, anything like that. It was a boutique edition only. So the fact that Harrods had one as well was kind of one of those things where I was like, you know what? And I just pulled out, pulled out the credit card and bought it there. My grandfather looked at me, who being a very practical man, even though he's very mechanically <laughs> inclined and stuff like that. He kind of looked at me and went, why on earth? earth would you spend that kind of money <laughs> on a watch and then he then of course he pulls out his timex that he's been wearing for the last 20 years and he goes this thing works well i think i paid 25 bucks <laughs> for it <laughs> this is the same grandfather who has a and 2002 so... and the old mgtf
0: though so he's yes, not yes. this is this at all. Is,
1: well and and well not only that he's and he and he loves his british sports cars right he he, he has a mid-80s jaguar xjs and he's talking to me about frivolous yeah, spending <laughs> that that's
0: a money pit right there an, an 80s Jag.
1: oh and yeah. he has <laughs> so so and and yeah so and and so before that watch, um, I went I went straight off into the deep end, and there was debate when I was looking at the Monaco as well, because of course the other thing that was the other things that were out there that I was that was I thought was comparable, and uh, I think a lot of people attest to this was one of the things was a no date sub, mm. um, which from a financial standpoint would have been a better investment because you could get them all over the place. Mm. It wasn't as though they were yep. scarce the at that days. point, point. Um, and they were. And they were, were 5,000 pounds. And I I remember, it was, it was actually, I'm going to throw this back to a blog to watch, which I think at the time was still a blog to read article that Ariel Adams had written, and basically said that the Rolex Submariner no date was kind of a benchmark of quality, right? So, and whether, whether you want to agree with that or not, it kind of resonated with me, is you look at a Rolex Submariner, and then you look at the watch, the, the the comparable watch that you're looking at, and how much more or less it is, and whether or not that actually is added value versus that particular watch. It's kind of like like the barometer of of what you're willing to spend. And so when I was doing the comparison, I said, well, Monaco gives me a chronograph and um, uh, a design that I like, and and the quality is is up there um not necessarily on par with rolex obviously but it's one of those things where there was enough added value for me in that watch that then actually getting the rolex so and then because of course the other the other piece i was looking at the time was um the omega uh planet ocean chronograph Which was, um, and it was the one with the orange accents, and it came on either um, a steel bracelet or the orange leather strap.
2: It. So you definitely have an. Orange oh yeah, it was thing. it was
1: it was an orange thing. Like I wanted I wanted orange accents on the watch. The thing with the Omega was it was just too much orange, especially on the leather strap. The leather strap was, it was and it I'm was a, a lot. To I'm take. a big fan so, of orange
0: as well. And but yeah yeah the the Planet Ocean in orange is it's a lot it's a lot to take in.
1: So those were the three watches that I kind of had benchmarked and, and they were all within about uh, a 750 pound range. Because um, I think the, the Omega was, um, I think it was about 4,500 pounds. The the sub, and I always remember this, was 5,000 on the nose. And um, uh, Monaco was uh, 5,250. So that was, and I and pulled the trigger on the Monaco. And yeah, Rust yeah. was history.
0: I, I remember those days as well. When I remember the last time I remember, I remember the, the no date sub being five thousand, when you could actually walk into a store and buy one, and they were just there. That was like the staple of yeah. any Rolex ad was the no date sub. Oh yeah. and the your last you had no date or a date or any it. no date, they were fifty five hundred, and then they vanished forever. <laughs> <laughs> like gorillas yeah. in the mist they just vanished forever and you just couldn't yeah, see them yeah. anymore um, No, I always remember when I lived in Manchester for a while I was in uh, the Trafford Centre and there was a Rolex AD in there and I had a bit of cash in my pocket and I was thinking about getting it. I, was, I was deep I was deep down the rabbit hole of watches by this point and this was only like 2013 so I'd, I'd taken a very very quick dive into the whole like watch world and they had a Hulk and a Batman in the window. And this like now <laughs> that's like unicorns, like to see those two together in the window and I couldn't make my mind up whether I wanted the Hulk or if I wanted a Batman. And I was ah, I'm an iron about what one I wanted And I said to the guys like, Right, okay. I'm gonna do a lap at the Trafford Centre and think about this. And when I come back, I'm gonna have an answer for what one I want. And I came back twenty minutes later both gone <laughs> and I've oh. never seen I've never seen one in an AD since either of them and it's just oh no. yeah but
1: no it's like well the Batman was came out bet you, a year but you spent the bad yeah because <laughs> the Batman was came out about a year after I bought my Monaco and I remember going in and trying one on and when they because when they first released they were um 59.50 uh, pounds. And, um, I remember, and they had one in the window, um, at, I think it was, I think it was the watch gallery at the time in Westfield. They've, it's since, I think it's now, um, Carl F. Bukhara. Uh, they okay. bought it, uh, bought out the watch, watch gallery. I think I granted that that may have changed again since uh, I haven't been in London for oh, eight months. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the, uh, they had it in the window display and I, I went in tried it on and everything. And it was like, and at the time I just, it was like, well, it, it just did not make financial sense for me to drop another six grand on a watch. I just didn't. Cause I think I had just bought, um, a Bell and Ross that was not even close to that money. That and yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, the, uh, my my wife was was already not that impressed that I had gone out and dropped more money on something <laughs> without. I don't think I I think I think I forgot to mention that I was buying it to her or something something along those lines. So so Oops, so do, doing buying. that again was especially for something that was three times the price or four times or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> it was probably not my best interest, and um, I guess, but these things. And I think we'll discuss this as time goes on: is that I don't think any of us buy these things as investments. None of us are very good at selling these things. I've got
0: a very strong opinion on buying watches as investments. But like you said, we'll get to that at a later date. But I have definitely, after a few drinks, expressed this opinion. quite uh, strongly to people who like that, uh, watch meetups and how I feel about them <laughs> with their safe queens. But uh, yeah. I
2: like the fact that you... I like the fact, Dave, that you are the one giving uh, advice on buying a watch um, not as an investment <laughs> and the one who actually made... Uh, I mean, possibly the the most money uh, investment
1: wise. Through, uh, investment <laughs> that is very true. Yeah, okay, there is. So, right, so, you, the so you're off. leading you're leading
0: me into this, right? So let's do a risk a risk check now because I am wearing the watch right. you're talking about. So let's get it out wow. there.
1: Fantastic. And then
0: We will talk about why you are
1: wrong.
2: Okay, go on
1: <laughs> then. Oh, I don't think okay. he's wrong, but I I, I know where you yeah. stand on so, this, so uh, um, uh, let's 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 do this wristwatch. Here. So, what are you wearing? I'm Dan?
0: wearing the Amiga Silver Snoopy Award Speedmaster, um, which probably gets the most wrist time out of all my watches, and I suppose it's kind of people talk about getting their grail. I just I think I happened to get my grail really early on, and yeah. now I kind of make this the yeah. benchmark of everything, but. I mean, you guys will know that I don't baby this watch at all. No, this not watch at all. Gets worn. <laughs> I, I've worn yeah. it in fabrication shops. I've worn it up a mountain. I've hiked in it. Um, I changed the strap with a carving knife.
1: Uh, like, like, this thing does not get I'm baby. Just this I mean, all. you actually use it as a, yeah, as a bottle opener. There's, there's wearing it and there's abusing it, though. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm wondering,
2: uh, Dave, if you actually use it as a, <laughs> but
0: no, I mean like, I, yeah, I, like I said, I, I don't really want to get into the whole watches as investment things right now. I'd like to get into a later date when we've got a bit more time to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. Like I bought this right. with no idea. No one knew how crazy the Snoopy was going to go and That's I true. bought it with the intention in mind that I saw it and I, I saw it released the announcement and I loved it and I went in and put my name down for one and I got it and I I love it that much that I think to not wear it is an injustice and so it just gets worn all the time I mean it's scratched I think I think I've got a dent in the bezel now I agree Um, (laughs) it's just yeah it's, 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 it's but it's loved it's loved and that's the main thing about all my watches they're loved and you can't yes have a watch that isn't loved without having some damage to
1: it no but I anyway, agree okay
2: I can you hear your wife this is like a really really a extended wish check so I need to pass over <laughs> to you guys because I've gone on way too long about this watch
1: fair enough Thomas what are you wearing man
2: uh, so I'm wearing uh, the Panerai. I believe it's the Pam 002 which is basically the simplest uh, uh, luminar version you can ever find uh considering that there's no complication whatsoever and you don't even have the uh actually not big fan of the uh the contemporary Panerai logo uh the one with these sort of like two uh two yep. arrows um, if you don't want to make, I can't actually describe that so you only have two lines on it the lumino word and the Panerai word and i think the I quite like the simplicity of of the design, even if the if it's a really chunky piece, uh, as any
1: Panerai uh, watch, obviously. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's a great idea. watch. It's uh, yeah. I know, I know, I know you were hankering for the uh, sandwich style. Was the it was the only thing that you were yeah. that your your biggest critique on that? But I, I mean, I think Dave and I gave you. Gave you shit for for longing after the other one because that's such a great watch. I think people should know
0: that we're we're really easing into this podcasting kind of thing. And uh, being the first episode, it's quite quite, uh, laid back a bit. But there will be much more taking the piss out of Thomas to come.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's been a fixture of the French. Always for a pleasure. To you. Now, and just
0: because it's going out to the masses, it doesn't mean you're getting off with it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, go on. Anyway.
0: Uh, so, Cam, what are you wearing? Uh,
1: oh, so for me. Uh, I'm wearing... I, I've, I'm, at, I'm at the lower end of the spectrum. I'm wearing my first-generation uh, Seiko Monster. Uh, I got this... I actually picked up this watch uh, about three or four months after I bought my Monaco. Uh, and the main reason was, is that as, as much as I love wearing... I loved wearing that Monaco day-to-day, um, it was... There were certain... Parts of me that needed something that was a bit more robust, uh, like it's one thing. It's like you say, Dave. You wear you wear that Snoopy um, day in day out and do everything with it. Um, it was the same with Mount Monaco, um, but there were certain aspects, and not the least of which was like getting it wet. Right? It's just kind of one of those things where you got to be be a bit more m- mindful about something. It's, it's even though the Monaco had a hundred meter water resistance, but it was on a leather strap and stuff like that. And I needed something that was more of a, and basically what became my vacation watch. And so, um, yeah. I went, I went with the first gen monster, uh, m- more than anything, just because, uh, I think, th- I think at the time the second gen had just come out with the shark um, teeth. And with the shark teeth. And I just kind of, I kind of liked the squared off, um, uh, indices on the the original one, uh, although I would have liked it without. I, they've got the the minute numerals around uh, all the five, point, uh, five markers. I don't mind it, but I it may I may like it. I don't know. It's without, quite a
0: cluttered dial, but it's with those numbers on because I've got the orange is.
1: version of that same watch.
0: And right. yeah, you do think ah, it's a lot, but you also get used to it very quickly.
1: And, yeah, no, and I mean, then I think
0: if you took them away, it'd look weird.
1: Oh, uh, you're probably right. So, but it's uh, it's it's a great it's a great weekend watch. I and like I said, it's my vacation watch. I took it. It's actually the watch I I took it with me to Vietnam. I took it with me to um, on my honeymoon in Greece. Uh, it's one of those it's one of those watches where because it's it's not that expensive, um, it. I wasn't, it, like, and it's robust. I don't have to really worry about it. So, um, but at the same time, because of that and because I've taken it to all these places, there's a lot of sentimental attachment to it now. Like, it's just, it's been, yeah. it's been all over the world with me. And it's, it, it I mean, it's always kept fairly good time. Like, I, I mean, I'm not, uh, like, it's, I, I do like a bit of precision and stuff like that, but it's, it's always been, it's always ran slow. It's always been about, Four to ten seconds a day slow, which, in all honesty, for this, these these cheap Seikos, is actually pretty decent. But um, but uh, yeah, no, it's been it's been a great watch. All right, I think what we can do is we can slip into what our uh, main topic of discussion for today was, just to help with the introductions of everything, and that would be what our daily go-to watch actually is. Um, to give you a bit better insight as to what we're all about and what our our daily in and out with uh, watches actually is, or something along those lines. You can cut out that last little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll kick this over to Dave. And uh, Dave, what's your, uh, what's your daily wear?
0: Well, my favorite daily wear, I mean, I know I wear, like I said, I, I already said that I wear the Snoopy a lot, but I would say actually my favourite daily wearer, because it's such a great all-rounder I have, is the Tudor Black Bay 36. So I've got the Black Bay 36 with the blue dial and it's just such a great all-rounder. Like, you could, you can wear Solid it with watch, anything. Man. You can wear it with a t-shirt and jeans, you can wear it with a shirt. Uh, it's it's water-resistant to 150 metres. It's just such a great watch. Um, and if anyone knows me, they know I generally wear like 42 mil watches around that mark, around the 40, 42. So yeah. um, I actually got the Black Bay 36 as an engagement present uh, from my fiancé. So I kind of traded it for a ring, which I don't think is too much of a bad swap. Um,
1: <laughs> no, not at all.
0: For a while beforehand, I'd been mentioning the Black Bay. And uh, when she went to get it, the, the AD said, to her, Oh, no, 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 you don't want a 36. You want a 41. You want a Black Bay 41. And then I believe she got in touch with you, Cam, behind my back and said, like, She did. Oh, oh, I've got this. And you were like, No, 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 Dave wants the 36. And it's yeah. true. I mean, although sizing wise, the 41 is banging, bang on the sweet spot for me normally. But for me, I think the 36 has perfect dial proportions. I find the 41 has does. too much negative space. There's too much dial because they don't change the size of the markers between the 41 and the 36, or the 32, actually. So the 32 is just a bit crowded. The 41 is too spread out. And the 36, I find, is just in that perfect suite. It's a Goldilocks watch. It's, just, it's bang it in is. the middle, and it looks so good. And that Black Bay 36 is probably the other watch that gets just as much wrist time as the Snoopy, although well, I don't have it with me right now and obviously with everything that's going on in the world, I can't really get back to home to pick it up right now, to wear it. Um, but believe you me, when I can get home, it's going to be getting a lot of attention because I love that watch. Not just for the sentimental value of the fact that I got it for my engagement, but it's just such a great all-rounder. It just looks fantastic interesting. Um And I'm like a big dive watch person as well, I love dive watches so I didn't think something, it's quite dressy, for me, it's quite dressy, I think and then it looks a bit like a date just kind of, although it looks a lot like an Explorer as well, but it looks kind of like a like a date just with the non-fluted bezel
1: Yeah, I think uh, it, it looks more because there's no date, I would say it's more like a. it looks a little yeah, bit it, more like an, right, like an OP,
0: yeah yeah, definitely but, um, yeah.
1: but but with a smooth bezel, and I know what you mean about the forty-one with the negative space. The other thing that adds to that, I find with the forty-one, is the smooth bezel because there's no break in transition and whatnot from the case to the dial with the smooth bezel. It's a lot, and it and it looks like it kind of reminds me of the when Rolex was releasing the big forty-one um, uh, date just. It just it's just a little too big for that design, yeah, and that's. Is. So, yeah, no, you, no, I agree. The 36 is the sweet spot with that watch. And also, for the price,
2: hmm.
0: I don't think you can get a better watch than the BB36 right now. Because it, it's less than 2,000 pounds, over. isn't it? It's it's Oh, is it? It was before the price hikes, which are coming out soon. Which I oh, would okay. actually also warn everyone yeah. about the price hikes that are coming because I was in AD here in Stavanger because obviously I'm in Norway right now. And I right. don't know if it's just here because of the whole situation in the world right now, but normally we see a 5% increase. It's 12 mm-hmm. to 17% next month.
1: Ouch. Right. So wow. that's, if you're going to a watch
0: and you're living in Stavanger or anywhere else, get it now <laughs> because <laughs> next month,
2: the price right. hikes are coming <laughs> and from
0: what I've heard and they're going to be big. But I don't know if that's just uh, for here. I mean, hopefully uh, it's just here because the kroner is quite a isolated currency, so maybe it affects. It's a bit more affected here, and obviously possibly. everything in Norway is incredibly mm. expensive anyway. But mm. the price hikes are coming next month, and if that's a benchmark, they're going to be bigger than your usual five percent. So <laughs> get it, get your purchases in now. <laughs> But yeah, but
1: if only I had the money for yeah, that.
0: But yeah, but like I said, for in my opinion, the best everyday wearer is also the best value for money watch out there, which is the Tudor Black Bay Thirty Six. I can't.
1: No, it's a solid watch. For
0: money out there. But yeah, Thomas,
2: yeah. what about you? Well, it's well. I mean, that's the problem. Is like we all got to argue that we have the best uh, uh, day-to-day <laughs> wear. Where. Um, I personally go with the uh, Sea-Dweller, uh, so Rolex, obviously. Uh, it's a 2009 um, version, uh, which I quite like compared to more uh, recent versions because it still has the aluminium bezel, it still has the original uh, insert uh, size they actually made it bigger after and i find it too too busy dial with the new uh with the new version uh it's just that i mean this watch is you wear it no matter if you have other pieces to wear this is the one you always gonna pick up first i mean it goes with any situation really uh, go for a swim you have it you go with a suit it can, it can work as well. I mean, would I mean, yeah. not not no, much else to say, I
1: guess. <laughs> there's, there's, yeah, I mean, yeah, the exactly. Seiko like,
2: is a
0: fantastic watch, if, and it's if, if tough, I, which makes it a great everyday wearer because it's a kind of a fit and forget watch. Like you can strap that watch on and not worry about it. It's tough as boots, and yeah, you can do whatever you want in that. Yeah, exactly.
2: And to me. And to me I have to say not because this is the one that I have, but um, out of the the, the current uh, surminor/shiweather, well not the current one because obviously this one is not, uh, is not on the market anymore, but when it was, uh, to me it was the uh, best choice because every every uh, successful um, young guys uh, young guys, sorry go for the surminer. And uh, that's uh, the conversation uh, we all we always have. Is the fact that you don't really see the difference from from forward. You don't see the difference between a sea dweller and a submariner. But actually, the people who knows actually yeah. know. And you get to and lose the cyclops. All the Exactly, and the yeah. So you you don't have the cyclop, you have the it's uh, slightly thicker you have the uh, the helium valve it's the, all of those small details that nobody really sees uh, but makes I mean big difference.
1: No, it's a, it's a that's a that's a great watch, Thomas, and I I agree. I think the when they when they moved to the the ceramic bezel and stuff, it kind of lost a little bit of its. Um, Cachet, I guess, for lack it's of a better term. Huge I mean, well. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, the new one is the the forty three, yeah, the, the yeah and ones, they've yeah. added the Cyclops. But there was yeah. that transition piece that only lasted for about a year, where they did put a ceramic insert bezel into that, and they updated and they put the updated uh, bracelet oh, okay. on it. And that one that ran and it was and that kept basically the same dimensions as almost the same dimensions as Thomas. It was as actually tapered a little bit. That one actually tapered better than the submariner did. So it actually, from uh, from a wearability standpoint, because I did try one on, um, I liked it better than the newer submariners. Like because the 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 new submariners are quite boxy, and whereas yours has a really nice taper to the lugs, and it's and it just it, it just it it always yeah, just agree. felt a little better on the wrist. It felt it felt like it was a slim. The 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 other ones always seemed to beef them. Be, feel a bit more beefed up than that. Yeah. So, but no, great watch. But
2: yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I mean, it, strangely, the it feels it feels really so- solid and heavy. Uh, but if you compare with the current watches, it, this is not that nope, big. No, not
0: actually.
2: at all. It's a, it's a nice size. Yeah. And, yeah.
1: and actually if we if we're kicking over and I can talk oh, yeah. about mine and I can do a direct comparison to what uh Thomas is talking about. So my my daily wear kind of lands right smack dab in the middle between your two. Um <laughs> and that would be the uh the first gen original uh Tudor Black Bay uh blue. Uh the one with the ETA movement and uh the, yeah, the original, the original Black Bay, after the red one. <laughs> oh, the blue. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's the forty-one mil, but it's with with the ETA movement, um, and so it's not the the dress version of Dave's, uh, but it's also not the 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 full professional diver of oh. Thomas's. So kind of land smack in the game is pretending pretending <laughs> to be <laughs> And I remember when I first got it and we did the comparison to Thomas's uh, Sea Dweller and stuff, and the Sea Dweller is actually slimmer than the Black Bay, um, by by a touch. Uh, the and this the slab side on the Uh, the non-crown side is really noticeable when you compare it to the Rolex that tapers into the case and stuff like that. So there's, um, um, Mm -hmm. so it wears, but it, it's a watch that when, when I first tried it on, it wore brilliantly on my wrist. It just fit Um, the lug to lug on it. Just, it just really comfortable. And of course, being a no date uh, as a grab and go is always great. Even if I haven't worn it for a couple of days, it doesn't take anything to to set the time on it because you're not fiddling with dates or anything like that, which is kind of nice. Um, and it's, and it again, it's like you, you mentioned Dave, it's one of those, it's one of those pieces where I can pretty much wear it with anything. And I mean, I'm, I'm fairly casual, especially now that I've moved out of London. Um, uh, it's, it's a lot, um, uh, it, it's just, it's just a good grab and go for, for everything. Uh, so I got that and I got that watch back in 2015, uh, on my birthday, uh, from my wife, uh, it was uh, uh, it was so I've got the I've got the uh, the actual warranty card ha- is uh, with got my name on it with my birthday. That's pretty which cool. Which was uh, a pretty cool ad, pr- pretty cool because we yeah because we cool actually much. went and picked it up from uh, the Watches of Switzerland boutique in uh, off Regent Street.
0: Okay, yeah, I don't know
1: not So get. it was. It, it was yeah yeah so it was it was a, it was a great evening. We went in there, kind of finished up the day. um Of course, the the, the, the full boutique. And do you experience. want champagne? Uh, yes, please. Yeah, Would you like yeah, some yeah. more? So yes, actually, please actually, again. Actually, yeah, yeah. By that point, you're so pissed, <laughs> and, uh, you're like browsing Batex. How many washes do yeah, yeah, watches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was yeah yeah it was it was a great day, and then we went for really nice dinner afterwards with that stuff. So no, it was. uh and it's just been it's just been my daily go to for uh, since then. So it's so nearly five. It's coming up on five years now. So um, uh, it's. I mean, it keeps. I know it's just it. Everybody and everybody goes on about the fact that all oh, they've got the new in house movement and stuff like that. And I'm. Uh, I tend to not be uh, the the movement snob when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, the uh, the regulated. At a movement in my watch has never faltered um, it's always kept uh, about plus two seconds a day uh, and the other thing that I really like about the original black Bay divers um, is that the profile is actually quite a bit slimmer than the new ones when they put the when they put the new uh, in-house movement in the case back actually has a bit of a bubble in it so when you put it on your wrist it actually sits higher than mine and there was a, it was a at to it, to it being an actual noticeable difference whereas mine is a very flat case back on it so it's it fits much more snug to your wrist than the new ones so when it came out with the new ones and that and then other small details like the Tudor rows on the dial and um, the the smiley face text with the self uh the self-winding rotor and, and the other that thing sort of is, thing. So yeah, it's just, you can
0: get that Tudor serviced anywhere.
1: I can't speak to any first-hand experience. I haven't had the watch no. serviced yet, um, and uh, that can be a topic for a later date as well. Um,
0: I think that's probably <laughs> been a pretty good first test. I wouldn't say first episode. It's a bit of a test, really, to see how this all goes, and hopefully the, the three good. people to listen to it or six, Absolutely. which will be. Our parents uh, would like it. <laughs> <Let's see. laughs>
1: you think I'm going to send this to my parents? <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so yeah, I think we'll back it up there. And um, yeah, thanks for listening to the first episode of the Try Watches podcast. And, thanks for listening. Yeah, absolutely. To see you from here. Cheers, gentlemen. Yeah. all the music in this episode has been done by Dan Parkinson. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye.
1: Bye bye.